Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for revealing Yourself to us. And we pray, Lord, that we would have the ears to hear, the eyes to see, and the heart to receive Your teaching, that we might live unto You and to Your glory. For we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Reading from the book of Isaiah, from the Old Testament, Isaiah catches his vision of the Lord high and lifted up. He tells of his encounter. And then he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then these words from the Gospel of Mark. Disciples are in the boat going across the Sea of Galilee. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you still, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, well, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? You know, it's really kind of comical. The disciples are acting like a bunch of cranky, whiny kids before mealtime. They're in the boat headed for the other side of the Sea of Galilee when they realize that they forgot to pack a lunch. Somebody mentioned bread, and all of a sudden they began to panic. And all they, they look among themselves, and all they can find is one measly loaf, and what is that for 13 people? Well, Jesus is also thinking about bread, but He isn't thinking about His stomach. He's thinking about the yeast of the Pharisees, and is warning them uh, to uh, be aware of the evil contamination of their influence. But His comments go in one ear and out the other. The disciples are hungry. They are hangry, to use the word we often use at our house. And so they begin to find fault with one another, arguing, arguing about whose responsibility it was to pack the lunch. They're going to starve out there in the middle of the sea. Not long before, Jesus had fed 
at least 5,000 people, with 12 basketfuls of pieces left over. And then he supplied the meal for another 4,000 people, collecting seven sacks of leftovers. So wouldn't you think the disciples would be sufficiently impressed with the Lord's ability to provide for their physical needs? Here they are worrying about their lunch. We're going to starve. And so we find Jesus a bit, to say the least, a bit frustrated with His disciples. What in the world are you fussing about? Don't you get it at all? Do you still not understand how I multiplied the bread and fed all those people? Remember all the leftovers? What is with you guys anyway? How can you be so spiritually out of touch? You are so spiritually dull. Here you care only about your stomachs. So this, the spiritual dullness of the disciples is a, is a constant refrain in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of Mark. They seem to have a lot of trouble getting what Jesus is trying to teach them. They fail to understand time and time again. It has always been a problem among the followers of Jesus. The writer to the letter of Hebrews was explaining some deep things about Jesus' identity and about His high priestly role in salvation, and he ends up chiding his reading audience saying, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. Or to grow up in Christ, or to use uh, the more colorful language of Eugene Peterson in the message where he says, let's leave the preschool finger painting exercises on Christ and get on with a grand work of art. Now, a lot of us modern-day followers of Jesus can't help but feel that we are finger painting in spiritual infancy rather than in graduate school the painting with the master in spiritual depth and insight. You and I so often fail to understand what the Lord is saying to us, to what the Lord is up to in the world, in our lives, and so the Lord gently chides. Don't you get it? Do you still not understand? There are some things, of course, that we are never going to understand, no matter how hard we try, and actually that is as it should be. We will never have all the ways of God all figured out. Beware of people who do think they know what God is all about and have Him figured out because they have put God in a box. And the God that they've put in a box is a God that no doubt they have fashioned in their own image. God is so much bigger than all we can imagine, bigger than our hearts and minds can fathom. And so living with mystery will always be a major dimension of our faith. You know, we have to live with the questions. The answers may not seem to be forthcoming, maybe not, you know, this side of heaven. That's what faith is all about. It's living with the mystery, right? Not knowing all the details as much as we would want them. 
God doesn't intend to give us all the details of why God does what God does. So it's quite appropriate at times to say, I just don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand, God, what you're up to. Donald McCullough, who is a Presbyterian pastor, has written some words that have helped me in my work, and I've written them here for you. I can identify with this. In my early years as a pastor, I would have admitted that there was much about God I didn't know. In practice, though, I always felt I needed to have an answer when a grieving mother asked why God allowed a three-year-old to die or an anguished student wanted to grasp the relationship between divine sovereignty and human free will, or a teenager asked for an explanation of the Trinity. Too often this meant I assumed the role of God's defense attorney, trying my best to bolster God's public approval rating. And now I'm more likely to say, I don't know. And I feel as though I've changed from sway, a swayback workhorse into a winged pegasus, not having to carry the crushing weight of theological omniscience has been like the freedom of flight. What a great paragraph. A pastor has to be able to say, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand. I've had to say that all through my ministry. So we won't understand everything because we are not God. But there are some things, however, that we should understand about the Lord and His ways, things He wants us to understand, and those are the things that He has revealed and is revealing. God has given us everything we need to know, what He wants us to know in Scripture, in His Holy Word. But so often we are just too spiritually dull or dense to apprehend that teaching. The Lord uh, would teach us, but it meets hard hearts, deaf ears, dull minds, so that we remain ignorant of some of the most basic Christian truths, let alone the more advanced topics. It's not that the Lord is a bad teacher. I mean, there has never been such a teacher in all human history. But the problem is with the students, the students. So why are you and I often so spiritually dull? Why don't we get it so much of the time? And it seems to me that one thing we tend to do is to take the Lord's words for granted because of their very familiarity, especially for those of us who have just been in the church from day one. And you've all heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt, but familiarity also breeds indifference as well. And so you would think that those disciples who had walked with Jesus, they, they listened to His teaching time and time again, they, had, they, they lived with Him, they observed Him, on a daily basis, you, you would have thought that they would have reflected a little bit more on the significance of what He was saying and doing. And yet, despite all the repeated exposure to Jesus, they respond 
with a basic insensitivity and dullness. So that perhaps it was their very familiarity with Jesus, as unusual as He was, caused them to somehow kind of tune Him out. But they just didn't get Jesus, and so Jesus was way up here, and they were down here, and, and they just kind of tuned, out, tuned Him out. Kind of weird to think about. But we do that too, don't we, sometimes? Even in, uh, you know, when we would repeat the Lord's Prayer together in worship, and, uh, you know, those words are so familiar to so many of us, and yet we just kind of go through the motion, and we don't even think about the deep spiritual significance of all those words. We just kind of tune it out. It's because it's so familiar. Those of us who know uh, Scripture well, who talk about Christian things all the time, all the time, uh, we're, we're constantly around holy things. You know, this happens to pastors. We tend to kind of become so familiar, we, we lose touch with the living Lord. We kind of end up going through the motions. The powerful Word of God always speaks freshly if we listen attentively, but we have to make an effort. So our very familiarity can lead to spiritual dullness. Think of the saying of the Lord's Prayer when we, when we have Holy Communion once a month. Um, sometimes it's, you know, we just kind of fall, we go into the motion, you know, we just kind of do it out of rote. And yet, when we take the time to be attentive to what's happening here, we realize the living Lord is present with us, and really our response ought to be fear and trembling. Makes me think of Martin Luther, who uh, uh, became a priest and he, uh, he came to serve communion, the Eucharist, for the first time. And he, his hands so trembled with the bread and the cup and the significance of that act that he nearly dropped the host. And, and Luther never really lost that. And so too, you know, beware of overfamiliarity, so that we actually tune out the presence and the deep things of God. And then, too, if you and I don't understand the truth of God and the ways of God, it may be because we've not invested enough of ourselves in an effort to understand. We have not properly applied ourselves. And you know how it is to understand everything, to understand anything, actually, <laughs> I want to say. It takes a lot of effort, right? You have to apply yourself. <clears throat> I've always had it as a goal for a long time, ever since I took French in high school, that I would be fluent in French. I don't know what it is about French, but I, maybe I'm a, well, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I love the language, and so for years I have tried to study French. And lately, uh, actually, Valin is learning it with me, and, uh, but we, so we, we get our Duolingo, you know, our, get our, some of you know about that language app, you know, and, and it's kind of gamified so that, you know, you get these rewards the more you do it and you climb up the ladder of success and so on. And so, you know, so every day we do Duolingo, you know, and, and you have to keep a streak going. So you have to use it every day. I think Valin had like 160 days in a row or something like that uh, until she blew it. Um, <laughs> um, but there are times when I say, you know, I, uh, 
And we've been to language school even in France, right? And, uh, and so, but there are times when I think, okay, when am I done? <laughs> when am I going to be able to stop? Why can't French just come to me? Um, but, of course, it doesn't work that way. You have to work at it every day, every day, and it never ends. It never ends. When will Mark be fluent? Who knows? <laughs> but you have to keep applying yourself to understand the language, to understand what's being said. And so, too, for us, who would understand the ways of God, who would be more theologically astute, we need to apply ourselves. We need to listen and to think and to study. Billy Graham was once asked if he had to live his life over again, what would he do? And he responded by saying, I would study more. So it behooves all of us who would follow Jesus to study more. Study the Scripture. Study people. Study good books, thoughtful novels. Set a goal for yourself to read a good book every month, a book that might enlarge your perspective and might speak to your faith and grow it. When you see a movie, think about its theological implications. See how it relates to faith and to life. Reflect and meditate and think more deeply about the way of God with humanity. Please understand that you are all theologians. Do you know that? I'm, I've, said that I've said this before to you, but I think it's important for us to understand. We are all theologians. It's not just for those who go to seminary or graduate school and have a Ph.D. in theology, but you are a theologian. Your study is to... Study the ways of God with humanity, the ways of God with your life. How does your faith and your life intersect? How do you see your life in God's light? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. What is God teaching me today? Where is God at work? What is my spiritual growing edge? How can I grow? These are the things we need to ask ourselves. We all do theology. And I find that the more I learn and the more I grow about Christian faith, the more, of course, I discover how much I don't know. Uh, and there's so much more to being a Christian than just being a nice person and loving everybody. There's so much more. I think there are some folks that think that's just all what it is, just being a nice person. Well, there's, it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. Which reminds me of a story that you may have heard me tell of a well-known astronomer who found himself seated next to a bishop on a plane. And in the course of their conversation, the astronomer turned to the clergyman and said, you know, I've never had much interest in theology. My view of religion can be summed up in the words of the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Is that so? replied the bishop. Come to think of it, I've never given much thought to astronomy either. I guess I could sum up my views on the subject in the words of the poet, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. 
there's so much more to know about God and about God's ways with us. Growing up in Christ necessarily involves the investment of ourselves and hearing the Word and practicing the Word, thinking about it, reflecting on it, taking advantage of every opportunity to, to, uh, to grow our faith. You know, one of the ways, obviously, we can do that is to recommit ourselves to attending worship every Sunday and, and uh, attending uh, a class or getting involved in a small group at MPC at this church and, uh, you know, be alert to the, uh, those things that are coming up uh, starting this fall. And some are already going on. I know uh, Art has a great class on the Gospel of John, and they've engaged in some great conversations and discussions. And I, I, I hear that they're even, on Sunday mornings, ripping apart my sermon, <laughs> criticizing it in every way. Good thing I'm not there. So our very familiarity with the holy things leads to dullness and not applying ourselves, not investing ourselves. And, and then I would say we fail to understand the, the Lord's words and ways because we don't want to. <laughs> we don't want to. Because we correctly perceive that if we truly understand the Lord, then there will be some things that we might have to change in our lives. And quite frankly... We don't necessarily want to do that because it might mean having to repent of those things that we have come to cherish in our lives. We may know that they are not healthy and yet we hold on to them because they might bring a certain amount of pleasure. But we know that if we follow the Lord, if we hear what He has to say, then we would repent of it and change and do something different might mean a change of lifestyle. This is why so many people will have nothing to do with the gospel or with the Bible. They instinctively know that they will have to change. They know that if they believe, the, uh, believe Jesus, if they believe in God, that they then will no longer be the captain of their own soul, but they would have to give their life into the care of another. And that's scary for them because they, again, they know that life will have to change, but change for the better. You know, uh, I've often quoted this, but it was Mark Twain who said that it wasn't the part of the Bible uh, he didn't understand that bothered him, but the part of the Bible that he did understand. So it's a very human tendency to want to tune out what we don't want to hear, which of course is what we call selective hearing. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy pointing out this very fact, this human tendency. Time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So our God is only too aware of our tendency to selective hearing, tuning out what we don't want to hear. That's why God, in giving His mission to Isaiah to proclaim His Word, says to him, Go and tell those people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. 
Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. You see, it's not that God doesn't want them to listen or to be healed. It's just that God knows that Isaiah's word is going to fall on hard hearts that have no intention of repenting or changing. And so the people of Israel, in their spiritual dullness, bring judgment down upon themselves. They do not understand because they don't want to understand. So the Lord says to you and to me what He said to the disciples in the boat. Don't you get it? Do you still not understand? And in asking us, he, he's, he's prodding us to light a fire under our faith to get it moving and growing. Faith must seek understanding. And the more we understand, I believe, the greater our faith. So with His gracious help, let us grow towards spiritual adulthood. Come on, let's leave the preschool finger-painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. So may it be. Let's pray. Lord, make us more attentive to uh, who you are, what you want for us, how you're at work in our lives. We pray, Lord, that we would indeed apply ourselves to understand more of who you are and what you want with us so that day by day we grow in our faith and in our understanding and become more like you. Lord, not any of us ever graduate from your school never ends. So keep us growing. Keep us alive in you. In the name of Christ, the best teacher ever and our Savior. Amen.